Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop. Today, we are talking about the Japanese take on Western alcohol. We are indeed. And、uh, for this episode, we will be tasting Japanese whiskey and Japanese gin. And we'll tell you more about both of those a little later on. Hmm. So I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. So, sitting in front of us is the incredibly lovely smelling Roku Jin. Yes,、uh, so named for the six Japanese botanicals it contains、hmm. on top of the eight traditional botanicals. Who'd have guessed they were going to put another six ingredients in? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I mean, gin has been largely the same, but、yeah. with slight variant depending on producer. Yeah. But,、um, have you had Australian gin yet?、Uh, I believe I have because、uh, you had that bathtub gin. Yeah, it was really, really, really nice. I mean, aside from that one,、uh, like a, a, an Australian specific gin, like using、uh, Australian botanicals or colloquially known, colloquially known Australian botanicals like eucalyptus or、um, uh, something else. Mm, I don't think so. It's quite nice. I do recommend. I do recommend if you like the, the herby flavors of the Australian bush. Uh huh.、Mm. And that's pretty much. Anyway, that little tangent has a reason because the, the producers of the Roku Gin have done basically the same thing. They've used native botanicals to enhance a already well loved drink. Yeah, they've, they've taken something that is traditionally very European、mm. and, very、um, English. and made it very Japanese by adding in、uh, Sakura blossoms and Sakura leaves and Sencha tea and Gyokuro tea and Sancho pepper and Yuzu peel.、Mm. It, it still smells very citrusy. Like. I was not expecting it to be quite so citrus smelling. Yeah, and I mean, those,、uh, those things, those six things that they've added,、uh, are representative of、uh, the four seasons.、Mm, but the six ingredients. Yeah, six, six things to represent four <laughs> seasons, but two well, of them, the、uh, Sakura blossoms and Sakura leaves, are cherry blossom blossoms and leaves. And so they represent spring. They're both from the same plant, just、right. different parts. And the two T's are representative of summer. Hmm. Very nice. I mean, who doesn't love a hot tea on a hot summer's day?、Mm, well, I mean, hot tea on a hot day actually <laughs> makes sense from a、uh, thermodynamic perspective. Th- this is about booze, not science, Mickle. No, but this is about <laughs> both. Because drinking a hot beverage on a hot day increases. Your internal temperature to make it closer to the ambient temperature、mm. so that the ambient temperature feels cooler because the difference between it and your own temperature are not so great. Yeah. Whereas、and、when you drink a cool beverage, it reduces your ambient, your, it reduces your internal temperature. So、mm. you feel cooler while you're drinking it, but afterwards you feel hotter. Yeah. 
and I suppose that would also be because your body reacts to that change in core temperature more so. Yeah. Well, as well as the outside perception of the temperature. You know, if you if you're hotter, your body's going to work harder to cool itself down, and therefore you'll end up feeling cooler overall. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So um, this drink, yeah. before we try it, I'll uh, I'll, I'll tell you how me, how Nicole. it's been described because <laughs> it's it's been described as smooth and oily, with a rich character that coats the tongue. It says there's a fleeting glimpse of cherry blossom and traditional notes before the tea and tannics take over. Well, you're going to have to describe what a cherry blossom actually smells like because I've never smelled one before. Mm, well, I mean the. Or tasted one either. I've never tasted one. <laughs> I, mean, I, I was, I was in Osaka during cherry blossom season. Wow! But um, my timing was poor. I missed the falling of the cherry blossoms, oh. so I didn't really smell them. They they smell floral, right? Basically, but they're a sort of. Um, I don't know that I could describe them with much justice, but you can sort of you can smell it on. It's on the notes of the gin. Well, you first. Um, right. It smells very citrusy, and you can still mm. pick the juniper. And there's the, but there is a slight floral hint to it as well. Yeah, and that would be the cherry blossom. So yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a taste. Some sort of flowery note. I can't smell any tea notes, but that's probably more so in the taste. Oh my word! <laughs> that good. It's so complex. Mm. It's, it's going to take me time to even process that flavor. It's like, oh, and the flavor profile changes as it sits on the palate. Wow. <coughs> it's it's like, potent, that's for sure. Um, mm. Wow. Yeah, I can really taste the, the tea and the the floral notes. Like you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. And then sort of... Like, aside from the initial hit of citrus and juniper, like, then it softens with the, the tea and the cherry blossoms. Yeah, and just subtle undertones of of things. And then yeah. there's that more tannic finish and a sort of tongue-coated mouthfeel towards the end that's mm. sort of still lingering now. And yeah. Wow. Leaves, yeah, pleasant hints of... That's delicious. Mm, I think that that sort of aftertaste that lingers on the tongue is the the yuzu peel, that citric. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Kind of remnant. Hmm. So we're not just talking about fantastic Japanese gin today. We're we're talking about the the Japanese version of Japanese versions of Western alcohol spirits. Like this, like gin and whiskey didn't really appear in Japan until about the the late nineteenth century. Yeah, yeah the the late eighteen hundreds, the early nineteen hundreds, the uh, whiskey that we have, the Suntory Old Whiskey, hmm. which is supposedly one of the oldest, actually says on the label over there. It actually says on the label. Established 1899. Yeah. Well, the whiskey production in Japan began around 1870, but commercial production didn't really kick into gear until about 1924. Yeah, and uh, that was... Yeah, so that's a very old whiskey. 
Yeah. And of course, it was then in uh, when commercial production kicked in that the very first proper commercial distillery opened. And that distillery is still in production today, mm. which is the Yamazaki distillery. Yeah. And it produces some damn fine whiskey. Some damn fine whiskey. <laughs> The other distillery owned by Suntory on the same island in the Yam- Yamanashi prefecture is on Honshu is the Hakushu distillery, which was our top drop from our whiskey episode way, way mm. back in the single digits. It was. And of course, Sun- Suntory, I don't think, owned either of these distilleries to begin with. Oh, no, they bought them much later. But um, yeah, they've they've been around for a long time, but they've mm. been... As I think we've mentioned previously, Suntory has a tendency to buy things up, build them up, and then sell them off. Mm. Yeah, invest, make them big, and then, yeah, sell them. Yeah. So, anyway, back to back to a bit more history. Mm. Uh, for whiskey specifically, two of the most influential figures are Shinjiro Tor- Tori and Masataka Taketsuru. Uh, Tori was a... Tori was a pharmaceutical wholesaler and the founder of Koto, Kotobukiya, later to become Suntory. He started importing Western liquor and later created the brand called Akadama Port Wine, based on a Portuguese wine which had made him a successful merchant. So, of course, he was a, an ambitious guy, so he embarked on a new venture which would become his life's work, making Japanese whiskey for Japanese people. Uh, despite strong opposition from the company's executives, Tori decided to build the first Japanese whiskey distillery in Yamazaki, a suburb of Kyoto, an area so famous for its excellent water that the legendary tea master Senno Riku Riku Senno Riku Riku built his tea room built there. His tea room there, yeah. Tori hired Masataka Taketsuru as a distillery executive, because he wanted to make whiskey, but he needed somebody who knew about making whiskey. He'd studied the art of distillery in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. So Takatsuru had um, studied in Scotland and had returned to Japan in the 1920s. And um, that was basically where it began for Japan making whiskies in the style of Scottish whiskies. And the first Westerners to taste it were soldiers of the American Expeditionary Force Siberia who were on shore leave in Hakodate in September of 1918. And it was described by one American as a Scotch whiskey made in Japan. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting how they were... They... The guy knew that there was a market, so he knew... And he knew that he could do it in the Japanese style of, like, perfection. <laughs> so Yeah. So he got stuck into it. And now we have the Yamazaki distillery still going, still going today. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of people, I think, were... Um, they didn't, the they 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 didn't think it would last. Yeah, they, they didn't think it would last at all. No, they, they didn't think that a whiskey made in the Scottish style but not in Scotland could be as good mm. as a whiskey that came out of a Scottish distillery. Yeah. And so the market for Japanese whiskies was almost entirely domestic before the year 2000. 
Yeah, that's that's why you're suddenly seeing all these Japanese whiskies come on the market because in uh, two in two thousand and one, the Nikka or Nikka's ten year Yo- Yoichi single malt won the best of the best at whis- at the whiskey magazines awards. Best, yeah. best of the best. Best of the best, yeah, which got people going, whoa, hold on a minute here. <laughs> Wait a second. Where did this stuff come Maybe from? Maybe this is pretty good. And uh, then in Blind Tastings, organized by Whiskey Magazine in 2003, the results of which were published in Whiskey Magazine number 30, the winners of the category Japanese whiskies, because by 2003 there was a Japanese whiskies category. Yeah. It was. Uh, it's taken the world by storm. Oh yeah, and so the Hibiki twenty-one year, the Nikayuichi ten year, naturally. Yeah. <laughs> the Yamazaki Bourbon Cask nineteen ninety-one, the Kurizawa seventeen year, and um, wait, does that say sixty percent on it? Uh, the the Yamazaki Bourbon Cask nineteen ninety-one. Yes, sixty percent. Holy shit. And in the main ranking, covering all categories of whiskey, the Hibiki 21-year-old made it to rank 9. Wow. Which, yeah, really explains how suddenly it got attention Mm. and we slowly started seeing Japanese whiskeys here, which... It literally exploded across the world. And, yeah, they they are definitely made in the style of Scotch whiskeys. Well, they, they used to be. They used to be made in the same style as Scotch whiskey, but now they're made in their own style. Or yeah, they, they've, you can, they've got their own. Yeah, they've got their own style now. Yeah, you, know, you can definitely you can taste the heritage. Mm. There's a similarity there, an undeniable similarity. But they're definitely their own thing. But now. they're definitely their own thing. Yeah, they've they've found their own their own rhythm, their own pace, their own way of doing it. Their own niche. Mm. And that is clearly what started getting them attention. Mm. In the new millennium, and yeah. yeah, on they've gone. So, for to drink Japanese whiskey, you can basically you consume it like Scotch whiskey or shochu. Uh, most of it is in Japan. Most of the Japanese whiskey is consumed as cocktails, or the the really good stuff is drunk neat or on the rocks, just like Scotch whiskey. What they do differently to the Scottish is that. In the wintertime, they mix it with hot water because that's what's done with shochu in mm. the wintertime. And um, there's also some differences in production as well as far as uh, style goes because while still a, a huge amount of Scotch whiskies are blended mm. and the vast majority of Japanese whiskies are blended, one of the peak differences in that is that the Scottish distilleries and companies tend to share single malts with each other between distilleries. So they'll end up with a blend made of lots of different things. Mm. Whereas in Japan, the industry is vertically integrated. So whiskey companies own the distilleries and the brands of blended whiskey instead of there being a brand that blends whiskey that they've acquired from lots of single malt distilleries. Yeah, so then they tend not to... Swap blends, as it were. Yeah, they only use distillery. They only use single malts that came from distilleries owned by that same brand, mm. which means you end up with, I suppose, a a more 
Puritan kind of flavor, perhaps something cleaner. Yeah, there's there's less of a, a muddle to it. Potentially, yeah. Mm. Well, that that also depends on the the scotch. Oh, absolutely, it depends well. on where it came from, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, it's really really interesting stuff. And if you get the opportunity to taste Japanese whiskey, I definitely recommend it. Um, Japanese whiskey is some of the smoothest whiskey I've ever tasted. Like. The first bottle I tried was so smooth, I'd downed half a bottle before I had realized how much I was drinking. Yeah, and they've definitely got that part down to a fine mm. art. Like, there's a lot of blended whiskies in the same price category as a Japanese blended whiskey that will not taste nearly as good. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, whiskey is not the only thing they produce. Wine has started to become quite a big thing as well. Uh, however, it never used to be. Domestic Japanese wine production really only began with the adoption of the Western culture d- during the Meiji Restoration in the second half of the 19th century. Same period as whiskey. Japanese wine is not a huge industry yet. Of uh, In about 2013... Approximately 365 kilolitres of wine was purchased in Japan, with two-thirds of it being imported wine. Of the one-third that was domestically produced, only a quarter of that came from domestically grown and harvested grapes. So they do a lot of importing. Which kind of makes sense for a place that doesn't have a lot of land for growing stuff. Yeah, well, they, they get really creative with the land that they have. Like there's some, there's a couple of vineyards that are built on, well, that are a couple of vineyards on the side of mountains. They grow them on the on the cliffs to, or sloping terraces to, um, to make use of all the space that they have. Because Japan is an island and very humid. During summer, it's really humid, so they have an elevated horizontal hedging technique known as tanajitate. They basically use it to keep the fruit about two to three meters above the ground so air can flow through underneath, basically to stop mold and mildew and all that other gross stuff that you don't really want adding flavors to your wine. Mm, Which uh, makes good sense, and they've... um I suppose to bring us around a full circle back to where we began and what we started the episode drinking. Gin. Gin (laughs) is even more recent in Japan. Oh. Like around uh, 2015 is when they started producing gin. That recent? That recently, yeah. um, This is fucking amazing for four years of gin production. And yeah, a... (laughs) It or was a craft distillery called Kinobi that uh, was founded in 2015 and began making gin there. And now uh, Suntory, of course, make their Roku gin. And, oh, of course it's Suntory. <laughs> and Nika Coffee Gin is uh, made by uh, Asahi. Wow. And uh, it's distilled in coffee stills. Oh, coffee, as in C O F F E Y. Yeah, not C O, not coffee, as in the coffee. No, no, co- coffee, as in as yeah, in the C-O- Irish C O F F E Y. Yeah. yeah, the Irish dude that made copper pot stills. Yeah, yeah. So they yeah wow. distill it in 
I suppose copper pot stills. That's that's really cool. Interesting that they're using the Irish style stills to make gin. Yeah, and um, so they've all started making their own gin in their own very unique way. Like they use um, eleven botanicals to make their gin, the the Nicker Coffee Gin, using apparently the traditional technique. And uh, among those botanicals are, of course, what you'd expect from Japanese, like what you've got in mm. the Roku Gin, the uh, the yuzu, the sensho pepper, but they also use kabosu, amanatsu, and shekwazar. And um, apparently it has a tart nose, but gets softer and sweeter after you taste it, with many more fruits coming through. And uh, Kinobi makes a dry gin that is based on rice spirit and uses 11 botanicals, including ginger, bamboo leaves, and red perilla. Oh, I want to try that. And uh, apparently it uses a rare and meticulous technique by which six different groups of botanicals are distilled separately and then blended. And uh, Mm. with a rice-based spirit and water from the famous sake brewing district Fushimi, they're thought to have been, yeah, the first producers of gin in Japan, as I said earlier. And it's apparently a thick gin with a citric nose. Thick gin? Mm. As in syrupy? Viscous? Yeah, I, I believe that's what they mean when they what? when they say thick. And I suppose that makes sense because it's based on a, a rice wine spirit. Yes, but I wouldn't have called uh, a rice spirit a thick spirit. No, well, I suppose thick for a gin, it doesn't necessarily have to mean syrupy. thick, syrupy, but thick mm. for a gin, I guess. But mm. yeah, I'm definitely curious. Yeah. And obviously it has to be good because it kind of kick-started production of gin in Japan. <laughs> I mean, possibly, you know, possibly Suntory and Asahi wouldn't want to admit that some little private upstart kick-started of an industry not. that they weren't on top of. Yeah. But... That's, you know, kind of what people are saying, that it began because of this little private distillery that decided that they wanted to try making gin. Hmm. We have to talk about beer. We because do. Because so the, the Japanese lagers are some of the best around. Some yeah, of the best imported. The, their lagers and their drafts are, yeah. yeah, very, very pleasant, very well made, very well known. Mm. Kirin, Asahi, uh What's the other one? Sapporo. Sapporo, yeah. Orion is a big one that I hadn't heard of before. Mm. Uh, but it's quite common in the US and Canada. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I saw it in Japan, as as you might expect. <laughs> but mostly Kirin and Asahi and Sapporo are everywhere. Yeah. Well, here, definitely too. Mm. Like every uh, Japanese restaurant I go to has at least three of those. <laughs> yeah. Three of those three. Usually Asahi. <laughs> yeah, and, or Kirin. Or Kirin, yeah. Yeah. Sapporo is less less popular in Australia anyway, mm. but it's definitely popular. Yeah, and there's a bunch of other beer brands that we just don't get here mm. at all. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, the the six most popular exports exported beers from Japan are the Asahi Super Dry. You got the Kirin Lager. Uh, Kirin Ichiban Shibori, Suntory, the premium malts, Sapporo Nama beer, black label, and Sapporo Yebisu beer. 
Those are the apparently the most popular of the the six most popular beers coming out of Japan at the moment from well all to the US. I mean, mm. so yeah. While while I was over there, I personally drank Suntory Le Brew Strong, which is a seven <laughs> percent. Oof, that's a meaty beer. Mm, a seven percent, uh, a bitter. Hmm. That one, yeah, and um, the. Burial, I can't make out the brand on it. What? Uh, clearly, my picture was not clear enough, and I can't make out the brand on it. <laughs> Burial. And, oh, I had two different kinds of that. One called Rich Taste. One called Burial Rich Taste, one that was just Burial. And, uh, of course, the Suntory, which I don't... Well, I don't read Japanese, so I can't tell you. Why not? What it's... Didn't you just go to Japan? It was actually called... Yes, but Google Translate reads Japanese. (laughs) Yeah, so if you can read Japanese, have a look at at the pictures on our Instagram. Yeah, on on our Instagram, there are some pictures there that are mostly Japanese beers. So, Hmm. yeah, have have a look. I should post more to that, shouldn't I? Yeah. Uh, So, before we wrap it up, should we taste the Japanese whiskey you've got? I, I think we should. Alrighty. So, thank you for pouring us some Japanese whiskey. Yes, the Suntory Old Whiskey. Oh man, it smells mm. good. I'm and excited. Yeah, as uh, as Bill Murray once said, any time is Suntory time. <laughs> I don't remember if that was in a legit ad or a legit ad in a movie. Wait, well, but... it, it could have also been a, um, a lost... What's that movie with Scarlett Johansson? Uh, Lost in Translation? That's the one. That's probably that one. I think it was, yeah. Yeah. But uh, because they do love getting big name celebrities to promote alcohols in Japan as well. Mm. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, well, exactly. Why wouldn't you? Uh, All right, so... But it smells um, fantastic. Cheers. Cheers. Holy shit. It is so smooth. So, wow, wow, wow. Um, in comparison to the Roku Gin, which was a little bit rough because of the high percentage, mm. this still has a high percentage. It's at least 40-something percent. Um, but what oh, is yeah, it, actually? It doesn't say. <laughs> oh, it does say. You just can't read Japanese. 43. 43%. Even, what is the Roku Gin, actually? So the, it's got to be more. Th- the Roku Gin is 43%. What? Yeah. Wow, because it tasted a lot stronger. Like it, it had that, it had that burn of a high proof. Yeah, like alcohol. it tasted strong and premium, but mm. at forty three percent, you could happily drink several without getting too inebriated. I guess, and perhaps that's the idea that it's a casual sipping gin, just like <laughs> this is a casual sipping whiskey. I'm going to show my love for old movies here by mentioning the um, the Beatles movie, A Hard Day's Night. Ah, yeah. <laughs> because in that, they have uh, Paul's... No, John's father. Is it John's father or Paul's father? John, no, Paul's father. They have... In that, there's... Uh, Paul's father is with them. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of... Uh, a grumpy old man who kind of keeps to himself, but he's very well kept and looks clean. Everyone says to him, 
he's a very clean man. <laughs> and yeah, and certainly you have a drink of this, and it's a very clean whiskey. It's, it's, it's almost got a buttery aftertaste too. Yeah, with a little bit of bitterness, which is sim- very similar to a scotch. Yeah, it's got a little bit of bite when you first have it, mm. and then it just settles right down. Yeah, but it is yeah, it's different from the gin. Like it's it's a softer bite. Mm. Like with the gin, it was quite an aggressive bite. Yeah, like mean, you could feel the burn when as soon as it passed your lips. That that is kind of gin in general, though. Like true, we're comparing true. whiskey to gin is true. like you know comparing <laughs> apples, apples and- to bananas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not even round. Not even round. <laughs> it's a completely different fruit. Completely different sport. Yeah. So we've just rambled on about the gin and the whiskey because they're both fantastic. And if you can, if you get the opportunity to try some Japanese whiskey or Japanese gin, or just Japanese uh, alcoholic beverages in general, I definitely recommend. They, yeah, they're smooth. They're they the style is is very tight. Like it's very neat, uh, clean. Uh, there's no rough edges. It's all uh, focused on perfection. Yeah, they they have a, a really good take on mm. what the rest of the world has been producing. I mean, for, even, for centuries. Yeah, for centuries. Yeah, even the the beers that I bought for next to nothing from a Seven Eleven while I was in Japan <laughs> were good by Australian standards. Wow. Yeah, because the well, the Japanese culture is all about. Uh, perfectionism. Mm, well, and of course, Suntory has a deal with Seven Eleven, so oh. they provide them with. Wow. Yeah, some of that? some of their own. How about that? Like a special brew just for them. Wow. I, I think. Don't don't quote me on that, internet. <laughs> Too late now because I'm Sun- not completely certain. The Suntory Seven Eleven special. <laughs> yeah, Suntory Seven Eleven special. But everybody who goes there knows that you can pick up. Yeah, a six pack of five hundred mil cans of pretty much anything beer. Yeah, even the seven percent stuff for for a couple of dollars. Well, a couple of hundred yen. Well, a couple of hundred yen. Yeah, the, the equivalent of probably ten bucks. Hmm, it's pretty good value. Anyway, we've been rambling for a while, so it's probably time to wrap it up. Uh, if you liked what you heard, we'd love you to subscribe if you haven't already. You can find us on your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts, uh, Podbean. Not sure we're on Stitcher or Google Play Podcasts yet. I'll have to look into that. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, we're on Instagram. You can also find us on Facebook. We are a Good Drop podcast. If you want to send us an email with your suggestions for future episodes, if you've had Japanese whiskey or Japanese alcohols before... Uh, send us an email. Let us know what you think of them. Uh, our email address is a good drop at gmail.com. Yeah, and uh, of course, if you want to uh, tell your friends or share a particular episode, you can uh, tell them about our website or visit our website, and that is a good drop.com.au. Yeah. Yeah, so next week we are talking about bootlegging. Bootlegging. Because it's not just prohibition. Apparently, it's still going on. That's right. Counterfeiting, but not just for money. Literally counterfeit booze. Counterfeit vodka. Yeah. 
So I'm, I'm looking forward to finding out more about that. Yeah, that's, that's going to be interesting. Mm. The delving into the illicit booze market. <laughs> yeah, so not, uh, not just the black market, but the blackout market. Blackout that's, market. That's what we'll be talking about. <laughs> that's fucking great. Uh, so until then, please don't get blackout drunk. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>